Greetings, ladies and gentlemen of Earth, and also non-gender specific life forms tuning in from <laughs> outer space. Welcome to episode 43 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. 44, man. 44. Welcome to episode 44 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Anthony Sam Ruff, and this dude. Uh, very tired and scruffy, Tom Laird. We have a special guest today. They're all special, but this one's extra special because he is a Scotsman living abroad. Please give a warm welcome to Colin Gunn to the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Uh, he is documentary filmmaker, maker of the healthcare movie, Wait Till It's Free, which you can find at wtifree.com or healthcarefilm.com. Is that right? I thought yeah, I forgot. Healthcarefilm.com. Healthcarefilm.com. Can't get better than that. Does what it says on the tin. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Colin. Sure. Uh, I first wanted to say what a great privilege it is to talk to you guys. I've listened to your podcast and I've known about you guys. You know, I've I moved out of Scotland happily. So when I, you know, in the 90s, I uh, met an American wife and moved to Texas, lived in California for a while, and I work uh, and, and still do to some extent in the games, computer games industry. And then I became a, a filmmaker and have done both games and filmmaking and creative things like that, sort of my thing. And uh, I thought I was the only Scottish voice on Liberty, at least in the 90s, that's what it felt, you know. So I read okay. Hayek back in, you know, uh, school. So I was a 16-year-old and I had a very creative art teacher, great guy. And he'd give me books, and one of them was Road to Serfdom. And I'm a 16-year-old sitting in Hamilton, Scotland, reading this book. And it just blew my mind. And, and uh, immediately, boom, overnight, I was a libertarian. And, and I, I looked at the world with new glasses. You may have experienced this as well, as just everything comes into focus. And uh, everything seems crazy, you know? And I remember early early 90s. As if being a teenager wouldn't be alienating enough. Yes, I but know. We, 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 <laughs> You're sort of describing, you can imagine, you probably can imagine my childhood, you know. So I was ranting yeah. about the Federal Reserve to my peers on the, you know, in the playgrounds. I was like, look how bad it is, you know. No yeah, interest. Back when the only other person doing it was David Icke. Right, I know. You're going to be the crazy guy. Uh, so I, yeah. I almost became an American in a sense, just because over here, obviously, the liberty movement's much further on. We have, uh, you mm -hmm. know, the liberty talk is sort of mainstream in a real way yeah. uh, so you know to a large extent i ferried in over here so to the point i i'm delighted that you guys have this voice because for years and it's growing you know that's the other encouraging side of it what i felt yeah. like in the 90s isn't true anymore in scotland although you might feel like you're a small band uh there's big support for your ideology over here there's a real uh, a real movement going on so it's really encouraging to yeah. to see what you guys are doing it's fantastic well, every time I feel downhearted, I just remember Walter Block saying he once asked Murray Rothbard how many libertarians there are, to which Murray Rothbard said, mm, I think about 25. <laughs> so we've, we've got at least 25 in Scotland now. So yeah. uh, we're, we're at the Rothbard stage. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Half Rothbard. So tell us a little bit about your movie, uh, because the, 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 Topic of today, your movie is largely about the healthcare system in the United States, but right. the topic for today is going to largely focus on the NHS. But we do want to hear about your movie, and I'm sure uh, our listeners will be interested to hear about it too. 
Well, what I did in, in our movie on Wait Till It's Free, which we've done in our other movies, we've been making movies for about 12 years. And I say me, uh, that's me and whoever I work with. So I've made a good few films. Um, the one in healthcare, as with all of our other films, we often go back to Scotland. So people know me as the Scottish guy over here. <laughs> you know, so I, so I usually reference. Well, at least it's not the Irish guy. That's yeah. normally what you get when you <laughs> That's why everyone's like, thinks I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> because my accent softened though you know uh right. you know i yeah. you know i'm losing it when i'm 50 i'll have been here as long uh, as i lived in scotland so i was came over here when i was 25 so i'm losing it a little bit of my my scottish credibility but i'm heading uh when we when we make our films we head back to europe or the uk so when we talked about uh healthcare in america uh, the issue of single pair comes up. Single pair, if you don't know, is the uh, the way we describe what the what the British system is, which is uh, yeah. all healthcare needs are paid for through the government through taxation. And so uh, we it was really important for us because there's a big push and has been uh, for you know 80 years to bring the American system towards single pair. And the left over here is always referencing the great success of countries like Sweden and the UK and how great their health service is as the idea of look how bad it is here, look how great it is over here, this is what we need to do. And of course, Michael Moore, uh, the, the other documentary filmmaker, my somewhat yeah. nemesis, uh, he is uh, he emphasized that when he goes and, you know, plods around an NHS uh, asking people, you know, who, who pays for this, who pays for this, or how much does it cost, and all the rest of it, you know, and yeah. so... And of course, all the answer is always from the doctors and the patients. Well, we don't pay. No one pays, which, yeah. of course, is a lie, is a myth. They do pay. They just don't pay directly. <laughs> you know, they pay in their taxes. They pay in significant other ways as well. So, you know, when we refer Britain, it's very important to the story. I also think it's true in the other way and in, in that um, uh, British people need to know about the American system. There's a huge myth about what the American system is. They think it's free market capitalism, which it absolutely is not so when you talk to a brit and you know when you bring up the nhs it's the you know third rail can't talk about that it's you know if, they, if they anything you can maybe talk to them about the legalization of marijuana and they're like oh that sounds all right you know but you know when you talk about this they just think you're nuts but they yeah. and, you know simply an issue of bad education they're not educated on it. They have the propaganda machine of the BBC and they go to public schools that don't mention the, in economics. They are, they've got no uh, contact with the truth about what really goes on in the NHS. And it's just worshipped. That's <laughs> the other crazy part of it is the NHS is just worshipped and, and propagandized, even although it's constantly been shown to fail even although there's all these problems and our main premise is the reason they have all those problems is because of the way you've decided to pay for it. Not because it's administered particularly badly, which it is, but the, another administration isn't going to do it any better. The problem is your economics and that's, that's what you need to fix. Yeah. I mean, one of the staggering things I, I gleaned from your, your film, which I can say was a, an excellent uh, documentary yeah, film. Fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it and entertaining and informative. Uh, so we'll talk about damned with the uh, <laughs> wrong kind of phrase. No, but it was. Uh, but one of the, the staggering uh, sort of statistics I took away was just the sheer size. I mean, I thought it was fairly up to speed on this, but the sheer size and scale of the NHS, what, the third, the fourth biggest employer in the world? Can that be right? Yeah, it sits up there in the top five or the top three. So you're looking at the, 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 uh, Chinese army, <laughs> Walmart, you know, the other evil empire. Yeah, you're yeah. looking at these other 
huge big machines uh, and so when we talk about the nhs you know the good chance is you're talking in britain you're talking to someone who's already working there you know so that's how difficult it is yeah. to persuade people about the problem the nhs yeah. it's a massive machine and there's a whole there's, economic there's... theory about it you know gammon's law of course was based around a study of the nhs and gammon gammon's law is the you know, uh, law of bureaucratic displacement, which is the bigger right. the organization, the more likely it is to be a bureaucratic disaster. In fact, he called a black hole of, of you know, it's this place where you're going to launch money into, and it can't be right. fixed with money. That's the problem. You just can't throw more money into this rat hole, which is the NHS. Yeah, and, and a lot of the time people say about any feelings of the NHS, you know, oh, it's just because we're not, yeah. they're, they're not underfunding it. They're deliberately underfunding right. it. Yeah. But the thing is that in real terms, the budget of the NHS has actually doubled over the last 20 years. Right. And uh, without much to show for that doubling, I mean, the waiting lists are longer than ever. Um, without, so um, it's not something that money needs to be fixed, needs to fix. Now, you said there's been a lack of education on this issue. So that's what we are here to provide today. So. Yeah. I'd like to get down to it. Like, let's roll up our sleeves, okay? What is wrong with having the government paying for healthcare through the tax system? Is this not the basis of any civilized society that we can uh, pitch together in advance and make sure that people have access to healthcare, uh, and so that so that no one's put out and dying on the street? No one left behind. Well, no one's gonna no one wants anyone dying in the street but the, the problem is the if you bring the worst economic model to healthcare, you're actually going to be the one responsible for people dying you're actually going to be the one responsible when people can't get access to care and that's a real thing that's happening in the uk right now when you have an inefficient economic model behind your healthcare system people can't get the care they need when they want it there's other aspects yeah. to it in terms of how the, the healthcare system is, is administered. And the funny thing is, is British people know all these symptoms. Yeah. British people complain constantly about the NHS, but they're refusing to recognize that all of those things that happen are coming as a result. You know, it's simple things like you, can, you go to your doctor and he, he doesn't pay attention to you and he, he's got no time for you. Mm -hmm. New doctors yeah. talk about this. There's an article in Daily Mail just recently. A new doctor, she she wanted to be a doctor all her life. She wants to quit because she she's got like three minutes with every patient. Well, what yes, it is is yes. a shortage, and shortages come through uh, bad economic choices, uh, and that's essentially just rationing of care. Because and and you've talked you've talked about this a lot, Anthony, on the show. I've recognized that you talk about pricing, and pricing is the key issue here. You know, the, mm -hmm. the issue in America isn't. You know, uh, let's, do we have Obamacare or Trump care, whatever, the, the, to pay for these big expensive bills? The real question is, why is it so expensive? <laughs> All right, why is it so expensive? And people say, oh, you can't look at money when um, lives are at stake, but that's completely wrong-minded because when it comes to healthcare, money means lives. If the cost right. of care halves, then not only does it cost half as much to treat people, but uh, everyone's got more money left over to be able to provide services to people who might not be in the position to pay for it when you can bring the price of services down everyone gets provision i just want to pick up on something that you said a moment ago about doctors not having time a study reported in the journal of royal society of medicine investigated how consultants time is used in the nhs and found that while the average length of each consultation was 8.2 minutes 
a little bit more than half of the time, 4.8 minutes, was actually spent with the patient. 41% of the time was spent on other things. On average, nearly a minute was used up trying to find missing results such as x-rays or scans. The diagnostic results of one in every four patients were missing. The British Daily Express reported that over 400 doctors polled for a survey were spending around 17 hours a week attending management meetings and doing administration as opposed to seven hours spent patients' bedsides. That's a lot of time being taken up in and bureaucracy, rather, probably democracy as well, <laughs> rather than with patients. And if you can have administrators do that stuff, you save money, which means that you've got more resources to save lives. Absolutely. So efficiency, we're not just, you know, this is the criticism. We are pie in the sky economists. We, that's, our, that's our thing, you know. Yeah. But really, uh, there's a huge moral aspect to this. If you choose the wrong economic model and you've chosen redistribution of wealth, you've chosen this so-called egalitarian system, and it actually, in effect, harms people by the fact that they can't get access to care that they've paid for. You know, they've been taxed. You know, our, our parents have been taxed all their lives a huge amount of money. You're getting taxed a huge amount of money, and you're, you can't get the care that you need. That's, that's a disaster uh, for a lot of people. And it means a decline in health. It means actually means you may die as a result of it. You know, yeah. the free market system is, is going to bring not just the best system, but also the widest, broad, broadest possible choice. Because we can actually start getting to the debate of what healthcare actually is. And that's a really interesting thing as well. What yeah. you, what some people decide, define as healthcare isn't what I would define as healthcare. So I think of healthcare as broken legs and heart attacks. You know, the big things, the serious things, the things, you, you know, the acts of God. When you look at uh, what is the NHS has become, you know, which is uh, providing services, that I would say are questionable and debatable as whether it's actual, uh, you know, something that is a genuine need, you know, that charitable yeah. thing, that guy at the side of the road that needs help, the Good Samaritan idea. Instead, the, 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 the healthcare system is bureaucratic systems often become, they become expansive and expensive mm -hmm. as a result. Yeah. Uh, I've got some figures on that as well, if you don't mind. Um, when we're looking at inefficiency and waste, I mean, um, you're you're looking at um, basically something like 51 million free GP appointments uh, can be completely avoided if patients had sought help from other parts of the NHS. That, uh, that they'd been signposted directly to. But uh, we were talking about stuff like 40,000 GP visits a year from citizens suffering from dandruff and 20,000 uh, uh, going to the local surgery for yeah. travel sickness. And then you've got 5.2 million people who turn up with blocked noses. Now, right. this is, okay, that, fair enough, right? You're diminishing uh, their pain, man. You're, uh, well, the thing is, the, 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 it's not me. I mean, the, the media criti criticise these people for draining resources from people with more serious issues like the, the elderly and the chronically ill. But the, the problem with this is because people are going to the GPs for things like a blocked nose and they don't have to even pay a nominal fee to be seen, right. lots of people who can't get seen end up in A&E, accident and emergency, right. because they can't see their family doctor. So then you've got 3.7 million A&E visits a year for concerns like sprains, the flu, 
colics and insect bites. This stuff is going to A&E. So although, and these, these appointments cost the NHS 2 billion a year. So it's a, it's a huge amount of waste when you can just come and visit for everything and anything. And as you, even if we had a system where there's no, re the, the problem is everyone needs to go through this bureaucratic education system, which you mentioned in America, might have someone going through um, an undergrad, then a postgrad, then three years residency. But, but in the old days, nurses were trained as apprentices in right. the hospitals and they contributed to people's healthcare while they were training. Not everything a doctor does needs seven years of training to do. We, right. could have, we could have clinics with specialists who were there just to deal with issues like insect bites and dandruff and flu and um, uh, all of these things which are taking up massive resources. And then you get the best quality of service at the best price. But because we put absolutely everything under this heading of healthcare, yeah. and people feel like they're entitled to get everything for free, um, there's a problem in terms of the supply for of services to people who really need them. Well, you're you're hitting on a really important issue, and that is what what do, what do prices do? And prices are, are uh, seem like, oh, it's unfair, people should pay for stuff. But if you don't have prices and everything's free at the point of use, what do you get? You get overconsumption. And overconsumption in healthcare, as you've just mentioned, all of those things are very serious, serious issues leading to pain and death. So when you can't get the treatment you want because the, all of those resources being uh, consumed in a bad way, and that overconsumption only as a result of the way we've decided to pay for it through the socialist idea of the NHS. Um, you know, a, a common example, and one we use in the film, is the ambulance service. So the ambulance service, uh, about 38%, I think it is, I, I read a, a report just recently, 38% of ambulance visits uh, are unnecessary. And so sending an ambulance is very expensive, it's a thousand pounds to send an ambulance out someone roughly, wow. I would, you know. So you're sending this big, uh, machine out with all this equipment with two very you know professional responsible expensive people at 38 percent of the time they're wasting their time and, and the example we have in our film was people uh yeah. we interviewed like an ambulance yeah she's gonna she was driving out she was getting abused by the people that she was going to help you know drunk folk uh the, the use people use the ambulance and we uh, we call it the big white taxi that section of the film because people are using the ambulance to get in a town. So they'd call the ambulance, they'd hop in the back, they'd go down to, you know, the, the, the hospital in the city. The Royal, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Royal, and then they would go shopping. And the, yeah. the issue is simple fix to that. There's a simple fix to that, and that is if there's an associated cost to medical services. Now, that scares people because they think, well, if you're in a, a car wreck, you know, do you want to be signing forms while they're wheeling you on the gurney? Yeah, this is, yeah. It doesn't happen. But in a sense, every aspect of one, as Anthony said, you lump all these healthcare issues together. So people are getting, you know, prescriptions for sunburn and, uh, you know, their, their kids as a sniffle and they're getting the airlifted, you know, to the hospital. There's all these crazy ways that uh, if you don't have an associated cost to something, uh, you, you, it gets overconsumed and therefore doesn't exist anymore because uh, people are just abusing the system. Okay. I mean, both of you have mentioned cost. One of the things that consistently I find comes up in conversation when you're talking about the NHS and costs is uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals, the cost of medicines, 
research and development. Okay, and I, and I know somebody who, who, who works with a, a, a pharmaceutical company and he negotiates for the NHS and, and his and he's, he's Welsh, he's from a, 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 labor, a staunch Labour background. You know, what you don't understand, he will say, is you know, if the government didn't step in and subsidise you know, uh, medicines, heavily subsidise the price of medicine and keep the price of medicine low, then it would be far too expensive for anybody to afford because we couldn't cover the cost of research and development of these medicines. Okay, how do we tackle that one? Well, when we look at the research and development that goes into technology, all the technology we use is smartphones, televisions, and all. And we're in a, a heyday of, of economic uh, development in other spheres except healthcare, right? So healthcare is right. this little bubble. Forget about that. We're not going to apply all of these great things in our lives. So we've got technology <laughs> up to our eyeballs that's fantastic and works great. And the research and development is done. Uh, and the government doesn't fund it. I'm sure it does to some extent because of the state size of the government. But, you know, generally speaking, the government isn't giving us smartphones and giant 70-inch TVs yeah. that we all consume. The same if it's, if you apply, a, if you had a genuine free market. And also the issue is the government isn't always restricting these these things too. So in, in the, the field of pharmaceuticals, yeah. the government is heavily involved absolutely destroys it you know has its favorite companies the whole story in america the pharmaceutical industry yeah. it's, it's who you know there's a revolving door between the food and drug administration and the big and big pharma and big medicine yeah. so they're all it's the same names politicians it's the whole story yeah. of k street which is where the cronies live in washington dc big pharma funds all of the uh politicians both sides of the aisle yeah. And it, that's a big story, and I'm sure the same is true in the UK in the terms of these oh, yeah. big pharmaceutical I mean, you, I companies. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, it was fairly recent, probably just last year. The NHS in Britain. It was. I mean, it got reported, but I mean, it wasn't huge. I mean, I didn't. I was. I was surprised that the, the press didn't latch onto it more. But it was reported that the NHS had got into bed with one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world <laughs> to provide e-cigarettes uh, right. to wean people off of cigarettes. Now. I don't know whether that's the way to go or not. I can't make a case for it because I don't know enough. About, I'm not a biochemist. I'm not a doctor. But if you do, and there is a case that you know that that can wean people off of cigarettes, and e-cigarettes are better than than actual cigarettes, then why not just give people a voucher, a voucher and let them buy their own e-cigarettes? Because you can bet your bottom dollar that that big uh, tobacco company will not be charging the NHS, you know, cheaply. Right. For those e-cigarettes. Well, the issue there again, and, and that gets back to the issue of pricing, and that relates to some of what we talk in the film is uh, who's buying the product. So the simple yeah. issue of healthcare is you have a consumer, which is the patient, and he buys healthcare from an expert uh, or health advice. I don't like to call it healthcare. This is a big word that covers so many things, but he gets yeah. advice from this guy, uh, and that's a simple action. Where you just pay someone, hey, tell me what I should do about this, you know, he, and he gives you something for that. That's a simple, and it sh if you take out that economic relationship, and this is very important mm -hmm. because the emphasis when you talk to doctors, uh, they talk about the doctor-patient relationship is the most important aspect of healthcare, and I agree with them. The problem is that's been lost. So you, as you're talking about the who's doing the buying, well, now you've got a purchaser right. for the NHS who doesn't really care about the end consumer doesn't smoke e-cigarettes, doesn't just buy stuff. You've get, he's pally with a, you know, the guy that works in the industry, and it's all it's a disaster, right?
Yeah, I'd like to take off what you say there because pe people, you don't realize that when you come to socialized medicine, you come as a beggar, right? You're receiving right. something from someone else. You don't have much weight in the transaction. You don't have any say in what care you get. You have to take what you're given. Um, so you might be afraid that if you complain about something, you'll be put to the back of the queue. You know, you'll be seen as a nuisance, right? right? Or you need to get engaged in a long-winded letter campaign when oh, you're already yeah. sick. Right, your MP. You know, so you you don't yeah. have the right to take your business elsewhere. And this is what we're finding in the education system as well, in tertiary education, where right. students aren't satisfied with their courses, but they just have to take whatever they get. Because instead of teachers being held to standards by their students, oh, no, we are the experts. We know what you need to learn, and we're going to teach you what we want to teach you. Yeah. And it's the same in the health service because you – you can't take your business elsewhere. So um, th this is creating a, a problem where, where people are afraid and just have to take what they can get. And back to your point on technology, we hear this example a lot. So whenever healthcare comes up, you know, laser eye surgery or plastic surgery were very expensive, even in the 90s and before that, uh, they were seen as something for rich people. Now they're eminently affordable to the average person. The laptop that I'm speaking to you in the 90s is extraordinarily expensive. Now, everyone can afford it because it puts the market puts an upward pressure on quality and a downward pressure on price. And that's just the nature of, of having a choice between service providers, which you don't have when you're the recipient of charity from the state. That's a good way to put it. I mean, the way uh, the way it works is you, your money is stolen from you. You don't have a choice over the, of your over entering this system, um, and and as you said, it's doled back to you. And the problem is, is who's doing that doling? Well, the problem in the UK and, and anywhere where there's a single pair, it's doled back politically. So we've decided right. that politicians, why they're not doctors, they don't know anything about health, they don't know anything about you, but they're now. <laughs> bizarrely responsible for your health or the health of everyone in the country. And they're often the least healthiest people you're going to meet, right? So you get these guys, uh, especially mental health when we talk about politicians. So when you have these people that are, uh, they are now responsible for your health, all of your health issues, instead of being a personal issue, are suddenly lumped into a political issue. And so when you're, you're all, all of the debate about the NHS and all the rest of it, it's really got nothing to do with, with you. The personal consumer-driven free market healthcare system would be a massive improvement on what people have. And people are like, well, I'd have to pay for it. But our argument is the prices would be vastly reduced. The efficiency would be would go through the roof. And that's, you know, it's not just me that's saying that as a libertarian. We talked to John Mackey, who's the CEO of, of Whole Foods, pretty informed guy, very focused on health in America uh, through his company. Uh, and he talks about it. He says that in 10 years, the American system, you could fix all of the healthcare problems if the government got out of the system. You could have a situation where people could pick what they want. I mean, even I'm sure, you know, you and I, you, you will have different views on what is good for you, right? right. So someone yeah. that's, you know, having a pint at the pub and, you know, relaxing with a newspaper, someone that's yoga, you know, well, someone that's going to church, you know, there's so many things that affect your well-being that need yeah. to be out with the, the government purview uh, that we really need to escape that system. And so 
the other side of it too is there's radical opinions on what actual actually medicine is and we can get into vaccine choices and uh, all of those things as well you're mandating yeah. uh, particular things so we're, we're not just talking about the best economic model but we're talking about the best health model as a result of it that, that will be a healthier world if politicians weren't in charge of our healthcare system so what i mean when people talk about uh, the nhs and they constantly do that comparison thing you know they jump in and they go oh, we don't want it to be like america so what's what's the three biggest myths right about american healthcare system that people buy into and conversely what what would be a better example of a of a free market healthcare system if you could find one in the world well, well, I always say to British people, you can find a free mar market healthcare system in the UK before there was the NHS, right? So they forget, <laughs> everyone forgets. Oh, you, you know, NHS, did, we weren't born with that. It, well, we were yeah. our age, but generally speaking, in our parents' generation, that's where it was formed. Um, and so there was a, a free market insurance, uh, charitable, uh, functional, brilliant healthcare system in the UK before the NHS came along and just stole it all effectively but that's not, that's not uh, most people's perception most people's mm. perception is that some people weren't getting care and that's why right. and especially those who couldn't afford it right well that's not the case and it's not the case in america either uh but to answer your point yeah. um specifically about america um yeah. the myth about the american system is that we are a free market a healthcare system um 60 percent of healthcare in America is provided for by the US government. And so we have uh, the Veterans Administration. We also have Medicare for the elderly and, and Medicaid, which is you know, government given uh, free healthcare for those in need, right. so that for the, the, the poor effectively. And so we have, actually we have a much bigger <laughs> nationalized healthcare system by numbers uh, than the UK system or most other countries in the world. And so um, the yeah. other 40% is can hardly be called a free market healthcare system. In fact, you know, I often joke around with what can be worse, you know, than a socialized healthcare system to the audience over here um, that's sympathetic. And I tell them that the American system in, in one way is worse because we have a huge amount of socialism plus cronyism. So we really? don't, not only right. do we have a huge the amount of both worlds. Absolutely. So when we talk about high cost in America, it's true. In fact, the emphasis in yes, our film is incredibly high. It is ridiculous. And um, the symptoms. And so having a closed down system like a single pair system, it's not you're not comparing like with like the American system yes. is just as broken. And as 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 we're agreeing here is much worse because you have these massive profit takers both at the chronic capitalist government levels as we've talked about with big pharma big yeah. medicine big insurance and obamacare you know obamacare played out like it was for the little guy you know and that's how it's still being played out that obamacare that was a chronic capitalist deal that was made with the insurance industry with big medicine how can we keep getting these big bills paid paid by people yeah. We need to force people to buy insurance policies that they don't want and they don't need. And that's what Obamacare was about. It was one of the biggest yeah. uh, immoral acts of government where you're actually forcing people to buy a private insurance policy, which is insane. Um, but that was seen mm -hmm. as all about helping out the little guy. How are you helping them? Oh, we're forcing them by gunpoint to buy this product that will supposedly be good for them. But, well, they well, don't want it because they wouldn't buy it without you forcing them. But, no, we're going to force them to buy it. We're going to make them buy insurance. Um, 
Now, I'm not anti-insurance. Insurance is not a bad idea for limited things. You know, again, health, mm -hmm. the uh, broken leg and heart attacks, the car crashes that we get in. But the problem is in America is that we've seen insurance as the way to, to pay for everything. And because of the way the government's controlled insurance, insurance ceased to be that good idea. Just like life insurance is a good idea, you know, that your families get gets uh, help when you go, you're not around to pay the bills anymore. Insurance was a good idea until the government sort of took it over and made it a, a pseudo collectivized system, a pseudo, uh, not even pseudo, uh, absolutely redistributive system. So that, you know, you can go in to this pool with a pre-existing condition, you can have a horrible disease or be very ill and then buy for, you know, buy these this low cost suppressed price insurance. Well, why is it low cost for that person? Because it's being subsidized by all the healthy people that don't need it. They're forced to buy expensive premiums to subsidize other people. So it becomes right, distributive. And there's, and there's an, uh, a term in economics called moral hazard, which is right. that if you do something that's bad for you, then there's also a negative consequence of that. And when we have these systems like the system in the USA where the employer pays for insurance and here where you get NHS, there's no incentive uh, for the vegan guy who cycles to work right. and uh, never smokes and drinks and practices yoga and takes care of himself. <laughs> right. He's actually paying for the healthcare for the guy who smokes 40 a day has eggs and bacon for breakfast, a beef burger for lunch, oh, and yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> uh, twenty pints at the weekend uh, and a few ones. <laughs> Just to warm know, up, you know. So right. The th the, this is the thing. It's not that no one has the. I mean, we're libertarians. If that's what you want to do yeah. with your life, right, you right, absolutely. Yeah. Why? Why yeah. should other people who take healthier habits have to subsidise you? Now, I want to go on a bit of a rant here, so please excuse me for uh, <laughs> stealing the mic. Uh, there's two things that I want to cover. The first is that despite its severe shortcomings, the American healthcare system isn't without its advantages yeah. over some other systems. And the second is I want to debunk the, um, the biggest myth about the NHS, so I'll leave that on a cliffhanger. I'm sure you'll come in after me on quality of services. First of all, not a lot of people know that the vast majority of the best medical technologies and innovations come out of America's so-called private system of healthcare, which means that places like here in Denmark get relatively decent healthcare based on innovations that are made in the private sector in America, which we copy. So if America adopted a system like ours, we would be losing that innovation. The whole world would suffer as a consequence. Secondly, when you compare the healthcare systems in the US to say here or in Canada, you're not comparing apples to apples. The quality of services is much, much better in America. And, you know, people go from all over the world to America to be treated by experts. It's true that only those with the resources to afford to be able to go to America can do that. But that doesn't change the fact that given the choice, the average person would rather be treated in an American hospital than in a British or Canadian one. So 
Uh, we've got uh, both here and in Canada, I'm not going to cite the figures for Canada because we're talking about the NHS, yeah. but we've got equipment that's archaic and obsolete compared to America. I mean, we've got less of the latest equipment and old equipment that's been kept way past the time when it's considered safe. If a private company was doing what NHS hospitals do to save money, the biggest champions of the NHS would say, we need more regulation. It's not safe that they're using these old operating tables that are 20 years old and old x-ray machines and obsolete cancer care equipment. And, it, you know, if you just look at... Sur- I, yeah. just, I just Go know on. that, you know, Again, I know it's tedious, but I just know that if there's anybody in the left watching this, they will be screaming at the, 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 it's because they're not funding it properly. If you piled more funds in, you know, if you if you right. stopped bombing Afghanistan and put that money into the NHS and built more hospitals, it would be better. You know that's that that's what they're, they're shouting at the screen right now. Okay, well, as I mentioned <laughs> earlier, the budget of the NHS has doubled in 20 years and... Um, and but it needed to triple. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, it would be good if we could spend the money that we're using at the moment more wisely. And maybe one system would be to give people vouchers and allow them to go to an NHS hospital or a private hospital. And that would make the NHS hospitals pull their socks up and might be a um, compromise that would serve both sides. I just wanted to mention that also we can look at survival rates. Okay. And they're, I'm not going to cite a long list of statistics, but put it this way, they're better in America. The average cancer survival rate in the US was 71.18% as compared to 54.48% in England. Do you want to add anything on quality of services? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's, object, there's an objective truth. You can work out the quality of a hospital. Infection rate is a good example. And we've found that okay. the, uh, we have a free market healthcare center in Oklahoma that we cover in the film. Uh, they are not connected to the, the okay. American system uh, as it stands there, a, a completely free market. You call it cash only uh, service surgery center. People fly from the, the single mark this the, the single payer countries like Canada to get treatment so instead you know there's shortages of course in Canada so someone needs a, a hip replacement so they'd rather pay 12 grand fly to Oklahoma and get the job done and fly home because it's quality of life at some point right. yes you can get the service but it's rationed to you you get it when we give it to you you know yeah. that's the, that's their yeah. model and so Paul, about- sorry go ahead I just heard of a, of, of a patient that was wanted an MRI scan in Canada and was told there was a waiting list of 101 days, went to America and got one the next working day. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the free market working. So we've got some of that in, in America. We've got it with some places where it's, it's completely cash only. And what you find is their, their rate of infection is, is, is lowest. They're, why is that? Well, they're competing, and that's what you don't get. You don't get competition. You do get competition uh, to some extent in the American market, but not in the UK market. So you don't get hospitals competing yeah. with other hospitals. Like, as you mentioned, with plastic surgery, we are better. We are quicker. It's another part of healthcare. You know that we will, You will be back on your feet with our surgery in two weeks. You know why would the why would the NHS care about that? They don't care. You know you're out the door. You're not a customer. There's no competition. So if it's a six month recovery, yeah. so be it. So so the free market in healthcare bringing that efficiency back and it's an objective thing. You can show objectively when there's a free market at work 
the, the treatment is better, it's safer, and recovery times are quicker. Thank you. Now, the biggest myth about the NHS is that we have universal health care. Actually, we don't have universal health care. It's one of these things that uh, the statists like to do, which is um, compare the free market to an impossible standard that has never been reached and say, well, you, we can have this utopian thing or not. And I'm just going to, I just want to dispel this illusion. I couldn't get exact figures on how many people are on NHS waiting lists at the moment. I've heard a million. But here, uh, August 2013, The Guardian, NHS hospital waiting lists reached five-year high of 2.9 million people. July 2015, Daily Mail, hospital waiting lists at seven-year high as 3.4 million people need treatment. More than 6,000 forced to wait at least a year for operations. Uh, December 2016, Guardian, one in 14 people now waiting for operations as demand on NHS soars, right? The truth is, you you can die waiting for what would be a routine operation right. in America here. So we don't have universal health care. Um, 25% of British cardiac patients die waiting for treatment. Um, and delays in treatment for colon and lung patients have been so long that 20% cases were incurable by the time they finally received care. According to the OECD, Britain has the lowest number of doctors per thousand of population. Um, when you look at uh, one one percent one percent of patients, sorry, um, only one percent of patients have to wait four over four months for surgery in the USA, compared to twelve percent in Canada, seventeen in Australia, twenty-two in New Zealand, and a third in the UK. Then there's all sorts of rationing where old people are just denied services outright. Right. Yeah. Right. So no, you're too old. Sorry, you can't get that. Now, if people knew that that's what they could expect, they might have insurance, or they might have a nest egg, or they right. join cooperatives, or there would be a market solution where clinics open up to cater to such a large demographic. But you know. I mean, the NHS wants rid of these people because a uh, 65-year-old yeah. costs 2.5 times as much right. as a 30-year-old and an 85-year-old costs five times as much. So uh, so you've got, although a third of all diagnosed cancers in the UK are found in patients over 75 and older, only one in 50 lung cancer patients over that age receives surgery. And this makes sense if you're a utilitarian and you mm, have fine. to... Uh, allocate um, resources that are scarce. And we've got an aging population, so more and more people are going to be facing this. So uh, I, I just wanted to mention that, and you know, a, a quote from your book from Dr. Dalry, Dalrampo. Dr. Um, there was managers going around the wards telling the doctors who they thought ought to be discharged. They had no medical training or knowledge, but they would try and influence the doctors to discharge patients quickly. This is a problem, of course, wherever the person paying for the care is not the patient himself. But where you have one giant organization that decides everything, the hazard is even greater. And that's from Colin's book, uh, Wait Till It's Free, which you can also get from his website. Please take the mic off me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anthony, what you're saying there, quite simply, is 
uh, it's bad news for grandma. That, that's the essence. Mm -hmm. of, and this, that's a very serious thing. The elderly are meant to be people we look after and, and, and adore and you know love. Instead, what's going to happen is that you've lost all that money that you'd be using to take care of mom and dad has gone. Their money is gone because the government took it and redistributed it. And now they're in charge and they're making, they're calling the shots. And so when we look at things like Liverpool Care Pathway, we can talk, we, you know, we can look oh, at it from, oh, that's, yeah. right. But the so pathway look, to peace is you can you please right. just tell the story exactly. of that? Because I, I mean, that was, this is a genuine show. By the way, story. this isn't just something that affects necessarily what you'd call old people. Right. I've had the guys, you know, in the 40s and 50s, you know, it's just, it's just too much to, to, to take care of them. So it's like euphemistically called the pathway to peace. In other words, we'll just keep getting the morphine until they right. check it out. Yeah. Right. And you know, the sad thing about it is it's a, a policy choice. It's a yeah. protocol. And people have this assumption that the, you know, the, the good nurses and the good doctors, and I'm sure a lot of them are good people. They don't have mean yeah. intent. But the problem is people work economically. And when they're part of an institution, they work according to the economic philosophy of that institution. And that's where the mm -hmm. idea of rationing of care happens. And so the idea of dispatching you to the next life is an economic decision. It's not actually yeah. an, a decision of whether you can get better or not. It's not actually a decision yeah. of what your family tell wants. People about, tell people about the Liverpool pathway, please, yeah. because this well, is a really, really chilling. Right. So the Liverpool Care Pathway was a policy. It was called palliative care. Palliative care is when how you treat someone when they are dying. The issue is, is that my my belief in my research is that it was enforced from above as a policy to reduce the expense of healthcare. That's the idea. Yeah. And the, because in the last stages of life, when you're in a hospital bed, it can get very expensive. And so this economic decision. Now, just as a really important caveat, I am for the rationing of care. Rationing of care is actually a good thing. The question is, who does that rationing? You and I ration right. our care all the time. We ration our beer money. We ration everything because we, yeah. we know how much we have and we know we put value, intrinsic value in things. We decide if it's valuable to us. The same would be true for end-of-life care in the free market system where we would make decisions what is best. Do we keep this person alive in a very expensive way or do they pass? The problem, though, is when you hand that over to government, they make decisions based on, metrics which involved uh political perspectives now what happens then is you, you bring you bring grandma into the hospital actually the story we had was a grandpa you know brought into the hospital and there was a good doctor there and the doctor uh was away for the weekend you know checked in the the, the patient and then he went away uh, uh for the weekend came back on monday and that patient had been put on palliative care through the liverpool care pathway what as you said uh tom the the yeah process there is is the chemical cosh they basically just put you in a morphine drip so you look like you're dying because your eyes are shut yeah. and you're drilling yeah. and it looks like you don't look well so you're dying but really you're yeah. not dying the government's <laughs> taking yeah. care of your death and as i say in the film you know you if you want cradle to grave welfare the big downside of that is the government yeah. is going to decide when I mean, that death part happened. I, I, I know somebody that this happened to, and it was with their son. You know, he'd been in, a, in an accident, and, and he had a few things wrong. For the guy didn't take care of himself, but he wasn't at death's door. You know, and the woman kept saying, "You're killing my son." You're yeah. no, 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 no. We're taking him. No, you're, you're, this is, you're, you're calling it the pathway to peace. You're killing my son. He, he wasn't dying. I came right. out, I went, I left the hospital one day. He was actually cognitive. I came back the next and he's, he's almost in a vegetative state. Right. 
you're deliberately killing my son and nobody wants to listen you know uh, that's exactly what happened and and the story we have in the film with the the patient the doctor comes back and he's like why is this guy on the liverpool care pathway he wasn't yeah. that bad when i left and oh yeah. you know we decided oh you know just but they took him off the pathway i need to remove the morphine drip he got better he lived another 14 months and he only died because oh, the man. family took him to another hospital <laughs> But it was put in the pathway again and he died on the pathway in another so, hospital. Oh, so basically the NHS is euthanizing people based at oh, yeah. involuntary euthanasia. That's the worst kind. Right. And and um I mean it is it is it's shocking, it's murder. It's, do you know what I mean? So anyone who hasn't heard of that before, please check it out or check out Collins. It's chilling. The the NHS is genuinely murdering people or has. Um, and just to be and, and just to be clear, you get good nurses and good doctors. They're not going around saying, I you know, with pillows in their hands saying, I'm gonna no. just smother a few old grannies. But the important thing to remember is it's it's the way the system is set up. They are taught to obey yeah. protocol. The pro protocol is established by politicians, not healthcare professionals. And though yeah. those decisions are made based on beds, numbers, your demographics, how old you are, whatever it is, the, the decision is yeah. out with your hands because of yeah. socialized medicine. And, and, and incidentally, just tagging on to that, good luck to you if you want to try and sue the NHS because <laughs> they will come at you. Right. How is this? Great. Get this. They will come at you with highly expensive lawyers that you're paying you're for. for. <laughs> you can't. But your tax money. Yeah. yeah can't beat the city hall okay, and that's the truth and yeah in america you know you can certainly uh criticize our litigious nature but part of the reason yeah. for our, our the way america is set up is that you you go if things are in the free market uh people have liability and responsibility and if you if you remove all that as the nhs has done it can it has carte blanche over the all of these issues and can do mm. huge amount of harm and there's nothing you can do about it because you first you're not a consumer you know, yeah. you know, you're never treated like a consumer anyway. That's that's a big problem. And uh, when you say you're for healthcare rationing, I'm sure there's a leftist out there who means you just mean rationing to the rich. The rich are going to have services and the poor aren't. But here's another myth about the NHS. We don't have equality of access amongst the rich and poor. The Guardian revealed that the poor people are in the more socially deprived their area the worse their NHS hospitals are. The Good Hospital Guide showed that the best performing hospitals were in the wealthiest sectors of right. London and the worst were in the most economically depressed areas. Hospitals in rich areas had four times the number of doctors um, uh, or 100 uh, per 100 patients. And um, so, so the National Health Service is not egalitarian as most would like to think it is. Um, I'd like to turn on to, well, I want to turn turn on to solutions. I just want to make a couple of more uh, mm -hmm. comparisons about waste because I really need to get this data out where we've got the chance. Um, the average stay in an NHS hospital costs around £400 per day from data for the government, whereas uh, NetDoctor says a typical private hospital stays almost a third cheaper at £275 a night. So that's £125 per patient per bed. That's a huge amount of money that could go a long way to helping people. And it, um, 
some hospitals were spending as much as eight times as much as others to buy the same items and an NHS efficiency table showed that a lot of hospitals were wasting about £600,000 this way and that a billion could be saved across the 14 billion budget just in that. So to those who say that more money is needed, we really need to look at how we're actually we're actually wasting money. Let's let's talk about um, solutions. What 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 should we be doing? Is there a phased way? Um, yeah, what, what's what's your view, Colin? My only phasing thing, because I mean, obviously we have a high you know goal here, which is the government mm -hmm. entitlement healthcare. My yeah. phasing would be my only phasing I recommend is that we actually keep the NHS for the poor instead of forcing us all into the system. It is somewhat just a simply a a, a catch uh, place for the very poor for for very um, essential needs. So you know, mm -hmm. accident and emergency, um, heart attacks, uh, cancer treatment, things like that. The the problem is, and this is true for our education system. This is true is that we you know the, the, it's it's for the poor. That's the idea. But finally, we're all forced to join the service. So it just becomes yeah, right. we lose the market. And so I would believe that. And rather, I mean, my preference is that instead of the government providing for that 10%, because the poor is only 10% or less, that's always usually the case in mm -hmm. a country, is 10%, especially in the West, it's 10% or less. So, you know, that's what it should be reduced to. My preference, of course, is that that should be charitable work. That the And that's mm -hmm. the way it used to be in America, at least where you had the Jewish hospitals, Catholic hospitals, the Presbyterian hospitals would all take care of of yeah. those of those people and everyone else would be in the free market. And what so what would happen? happen i mean the, the, this there's a certainly stages that could happen i i would say we need to start reducing the scope of healthcare. Right. we need to stop saying this is healthcare. is it we need to say we need to just start uh getting rid of, rid of uh you know free marketized just sections of it uh, and yeah. so that we get down to Flutes maybe that and that idea that, and stuff like uh, that but, yeah. but how yeah. how do we break the the, the problem is is this two Everybody, everybody likes to talk about the, the military-industrial complex. You know that that's evil and it's sinister, and we all know about it. The, the military-industrial complex. You know they're, 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 they're creating wars so they can spend money and make arms. Nobody wants to address the medical-industrial complex and Absolutely. how it fits in with government. How vested interests, whether it even be doctors who want to keep the, the their wages high, or mm -hmm. nurses that want to keep their wages high, or uh, you know pharmaceutical companies who want to keep the cost of their product high. How do we break that paradigm of those being in bed with politicians who know it is absolute political suicide the minute they say, you know, even, you know, brought any subject, you know, such a sacred cow, to even say anything against the NHS? What do we do? How do we break that? Oh, that's a huge question. I mean, I think what yeah. we're doing is what you're doing right now, and that is we need uh, the Scottish, the conversation to include this other viewpoint so as we've said yeah. you know you get the the, the yeah. left and the right so-called left and right debating it out in scotland or westminster uh and the truth isn't there so we need that other voice and that is what scottish yeah. libertarians are doing uh is that we come in and say wait a minute look here's another choice and i think that will grow to where we will be understood as the ones that will that have the truth we are the ones that are constant constantly not selling ourselves as a political party not vote for me because yeah. i'm going to give you stuff but this is the yeah. truth and here's the research yeah. and here's our argument. And I think it will get traction eventually. And those that are on the other side will be shown as hypocrites. And uh, with the internet 
every day we're seeing good things happening as truth yeah. comes out to show that cronyism to show that who's getting paid off to sh you know these things are now very available to people uh, once people start to wake up the evidence is all there for them to see but it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of hard work to get people to recognize these things right so we have a a supply shortage in healthcare, and whenever there's a uh, demand outstrips supply, you're going to get a uh, high soaring costs. One thing is that thousands, if not ten thousand, tens of thousands of students every year, both here and in the states, are turned away from medical schools. I mean, I know in in the states there's only 123 medical schools, you know, right. and some states are only allowed to have one. Now, people are turned away for having five A's and a B <laughs> instead of six A's. I right. don't know what that's got to do with your ability to operate on someone. So we need right. to deregulate the health, the, the education system yeah. to allow these bright people who want to be doctors um, to get in. We could save a lot of money by allowing clinics to train their own assistants. And then you just pass all the bureaucratic work and all this and that onto your 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 low your lower paid assistants who can then go to uni and say, look, I served as an assistant in a clinic for three years. You should you should let me on. You should let me in. Well, Anthony's um, saying something very getting close to saying something very controversial but very important, and that is the the big part of the solution is getting away with government licensing of medical professionals. That yeah. is part of the cost. And what you're saying there is that. Any old Joe could pull a scalp out of someone's hand, but what yeah. we have is a five hundred, you know, you know, dollar an hour professional that's got to be in the ER ward that's doing all these menial yeah. tasks because of the, the 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 bad system. And really, there's if you break healthcare up into its little components, as you said, the uh, the assistant doing a lot of the work, and that's happening here. That's one of the things, yeah. the good things that's happening here is uh physician's assistants being able to do the work so they don't have this huge train they're not exp as expensive so if we got away with so licensing Sorry, was uh, the beginning of the problem in america that was a, that's a big yeah, story absolutely but i mean as soon as you talk talk about that to anybody like, oh my god are you, are you kidding you so anybody can just get a bag and a stethoscope and uh, you know and, and and start treating people well kind of yeah but you're not going to get away no. with it for long you no. know before no. you're tumbled you're no, still going oh, you're going to get certified. sued. You're yeah. just going to be. You're still going to be certified. No one's going to see someone who isn't certified. People are right. going to want to see qualification. Well, my point and is, is it's not. It's got. It's not the government doing the certification. Yeah. We do the certification yeah. in the free market. Yeah. Yes. Right. I, I just want to say one more solution, which I think is really important, because people don't have um, responsibility for themselves because we can adopt unhealthy lifestyles in the here and now and we might not suffer any consequences right. for decades. So we're helping people do what they already do, which is it's easier not to take care of yourself than to take care of yourself. So when it comes to lifestyle related diseases, we do want some form of insurance because um, if right now the the medical system both in your country and, and ours which is also your country um the only thing remunerated is sickness right when you get ill someone gets paid for it when you need an operation someone gets paid for it this is ridiculous because colin if you were my financial advisor i wouldn't, wouldn't want you to be making money when my portfolio loses money. <laughs> exactly 
Exactly. Right? Yeah. Now, if we can align, I want to make sure that when I'm doing well, when my portfolio does well, you make more on your commission. And, you know, at the time of writing, a heart attack in the USA costs victims upwards of $760,000, right? That means your health insurance company in an ideal world would have, well, maybe less than that, but up to $760,000 of incentive to stop you from getting a heart attack. And that might be giving you um, a free helpline to quit uh, smoking. It might, it might be sending you, they might give you a gym membership because it costs them less money to make sure you take care of yourself yeah. than to pay out for you having this condition. And as time went on, they'd start looking at other things. You know, um, a lot of chronic illnesses, uh, a lot of disability comes from back pain now. It's cheaper to buy your client a good mattress than have to pay for their corrective surgery 10 or 20 years down the line. And they'll charge you more if you eat badly. They'll charge you more if you're overweight. They'll charge you more if you don't stop smoking. But you know, if, if you find it really, really difficult, um, you get, you, you know, they, they'll take something out of your nest egg to send you to a therapist who's particularly well suited to helping you overcome your addictions. Yeah. And, and that's what we want. We want a system of healthcare where the, where the incentives of the industry are aligned with the incentives of the client. Well, I said that the, and that's what the free market does. It gives, and it's true in, in other forms of insurance. The problem in America is insurance has been expanded to be this collectivist system. Uh, when you get life insurance, though, what they do, they come around and they weigh you. They ask you if you smoke. There's all these things that they yeah. don't do right. when you have health insurance. That's the way health insurance should work. The, the problem, Obamacare the, was advertised to young people. And, you know, lots of young people playing on the beach, you know, having a good time and trying to sell it, you know, yeah. big commercial campaigns to get young people to sign up, which a lot of them didn't do. No, because you're, they less risk, you're more risk, you're less risk averse when you're young. You know, you just go, wow. right. But they were yeah. needed. They, they were needed and yeah. wanted. They had to force them to buy this stuff because yeah. they were valuable to the pool, the pool i.e. they were going to put money in. Yeah. They weren't going to take yeah. any money out. And so it, that's a weird way to run a healthcare system and absolutely people who are uh you know living a healthy lifestyle uh should be rewarded according to their insurance policy i'm actually seeing a little bit more of this now that used to be the way insurance was and i i think uh we may go back to a better model in insurance uh, but that's just for the big things you know the average the other problem in america is a visit to the doctor is covered by your insurance uh, you know all these little things yeah. that you do uh and that's why in the the, the movie we talk about how we as a family uh, only use cash for our healthcare needs and only use a, use a form of collectivism, which is involved in um, a non-insurance model. Voluntary collectivism. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for people in the US of which many of our audience members are, can you tell them where they can find, can you tell them a little bit about the healthcare community that you're a part of yeah. and where they can find that? And then I want you to, Give a big plug for your documentary and tell people where. Sure. Yeah. That 
and our film, you know, a good question is, what do you do? You don't have the government and you don't want, you know, Obamacare. We give a real solid example of what we do for healthcare. And I have, you know, a large family, I, you know, I have to provide for them. And so what we use yeah. is a cost-sharing ministry. There's ministries that are Christian specifically, but there are others that aren't. But the model is right. similar to the way the insurance used to be. And that means you would join this restrictive pool. And there's rules to that pool. You know how much you can drink. You're not allowed to smoke. You can't have a dangerous lifestyle. You can't. You, know, you got, but you got to be accountable as well um, to this mm -hmm. group. And the interesting thing is, instead of having this idea of, uh, you know, what you have in the UK is, I'm going to get this service. I'm entitled to it. Or in America, I yeah. paid for this. I should get all, all the services that I can, as much as I can, to get my money's worth. Well, what happens with the uh, cost sharing is your money goes directly to a person in need. So every month you're allocated. Your check doesn't go to big corporation, you know, in, in, in yeah. New York. It goes to this other individual. So you pay every mm -hmm. month to this other person, you know, and you know uh, to some extent what their need is. And of course, that need is published so that people kind of know. Oh, we're not just sending the money for you know uh, whatever you know, trivial thing that they yeah. uh, they feel like they need. They're getting it for genuine health complaints, and it pays off a hundred percent of their healthcare needs, which is is so much more efficient, uh, so much better than a lot of the insurance models, and so much cheaper. And what they're able to do is just take out this huge cronyism, uh, this huge bureaucratic part to the insurance model, uh, and and they're able to uh, people are able to get their healthcare needs. So we don't need to worry when we go to the hospital, which we tend to do with little kids running around and getting split lips. Nor is it we have we do go to the hospital. And uh, everything uh, is accounting for. We don't have to, to worry about it. And we feel much better paying in to an, uh, a, a pool where we know that money yeah. is not being wasted. You know, that's that's the truth with insurance. It's true with the, the NHS as well. That, that it's hard right. to, to pay in. Uh, the uh, film, sorry, Tam. Uh, I was just going to say, I think, I think it's just important to mention, you know, because as soon as you say privatized healthcare, um, everybody thinks of Harley Street. You know, they're not immediately no, no. you can acknowledge but they, okay, they don't, yeah, it's mutual aid. You know, you can be part of an you can call it not for profit if you want, or you can have a not for profit if you want. I'm not yeah. saying that's necessarily the way to go, but if that's the way you want it, if you want a kind of national health service, you can have it, but just don't go through the government because they're the worst kind of person to, to run it. You know, so that's right. the only point we'd make there, yeah. And for British people, the world does not fall apart when the government doesn't do it. You know, the idea is only the government mm. provide because that's what mm. we've been used to. And it's true for education yeah. the idea. If we abolished the education system, everyone would just be running in the streets, turning over cars, and there'd be no order anymore and all. But no, yeah. the free Meanwhile, market. Well, in the real world, 25% yeah. of Britons are functionally illiterate. Right, exactly. And so there all of the things we talked about, all these symptoms are a result of this uh, of this evil mm. system. So and you asked me about the movie. Uh, the, yeah, if you yeah. go to healthcarefilm.com, we made a, a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it's helpful. I think it's if you're if you're British, uh, we you know we, we don't talk a lot about it, but we do talk. There's a chapter in the book, and there's a section on uh, Britain. There's not a lot of media on this subject, uh, Anthony. As you know, you're mm. researching this right now. Who's saying yeah. this? Stuff? Uh, is that there is a big discussion over in America, of course. Just because, you, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's that's why I think it's valuable, and there's much more work to be done. Though we have, to, and that's why I make movies, is we have to sell this, and we have to sell it with stories. When we go in yeah. with boring old economics and stats, that's okay. But we gotta 
we got to be storytellers, and that's what why I think movies are important to be able to tell people. Yeah. And, and I mean, given living examples of how it would actually work and how it does work, I think it's really exactly. important. Exactly. Exactly. That, and, that's great. and what a, a well-produced documentary it is. And that's Wait Till It's Free by a documentary Colin Gunn. You can find it at healthcarefilm.com. Yep. Healthcare. Okay. So. What, what's, sorry, what, if, is there anything we should know about? Is there anything on the horizon? Coming. Yeah, anything up and uh, coming. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we're, I'm looking at turn my attention more to scotland so we may we we'd not we never make any promises of the work that we do right. but we'd love to do more that's beso- that's focused specifically on scottish history scottish history okay. of liberty well, well i like heard that. there's a libertarian party in scotland that could really do with some i've, uh, I've heard some... about it i know pretty good <laughs> <laughs> well colin yeah. when you do have your next project i really hope you will get in touch with us and we'll have you back you. on the show to plug it because it's been a real yeah. pleasure to have you today have you got anything thank you it's great to talk to you no as it's, it's been fantastic uh great thanks for coming on and hope to see you again oh my pleasure thank you very much guys go and check out colin's documentary do it now do it live <laughs> until then be libertarians don't be a lefty all righty